Chapter Sixteen of Lift Luck on Southern Roads by Tickner Edwards. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Lead Horse. The road now plunged into the woods. The lower branches everywhere were nearly bare of leaves, but the tree tops, being younger and more supple, still held their full canopy aloft and through this natural roof the sunbeams filtered in glancing red and russet golden grey the tree trunks were all of vivid green the grass beneath them greener still far overhead the wind sang shrilly but below hardly a leaf stirred into this quiet labyrinth of hollow ways i was followed presently by a clatter of hoofs three or four riders some soldiers and a groom with a led horse overtook and swept by me soon disappearing in the dusky depths of the wood ahead a little later however i came upon the groom again and this time alone his two horses were grazing by the roadside while the groom himself sat on a gate busily scribbling on his knee as i approached i saw him put up his pencil read over what he had written and then impatiently tear the paper to scraps he was letting the pieces slowly dribble through his fingers to the ground himself evidently lost in thought when my foot struck against a stone looking quickly round he caught sight of me it was a remarkable face he turned to mine all the more remarkable for the status of the man or rather the lithe youngster who bore it he could have been no more than eighteen or twenty years old he wore a suit of drab bedford cords buttoned in at the knee and in all other respects looked the groom and nothing more but the face was the grave refined clever face of the born cleric clear-cut delicately moulded with a pair of fearless grey eyes and a mouth faultlessly strong over a firm chin i could picture its owner as anything from deacon now to future archbishop and here he was exercising horses at perhaps fifteen shillings a week with at the utmost the prospect of being head coachman some day and a rich man's poor pensioner afterwards i pulled up as i came abreast of him with a casual question about the road and i may as well confess at once certain nebulous designs stirring within me at the sight of the two horses with only one rider but i had soon forgotten my own particular concerns in the new interest that his first words awakened not only his voice which was powerful and resonant but his accent and whole manner were of a piece with his face he spoke like a man of culture and with such unconscious ease and want that i found myself staring again and again at his groom's clothing 
with a greater wonder than ever yet there was something more about him which still farther interested me i found him very ready to talk for a long time we chatted together but the longer i stayed with him the more convinced i became that he was in some deep trouble or other it came out not in his words but in look pause gesture the hundred little ways that are alike nameless and indescribable yet not to be mistaken i looked at the torn paper on the road i thought of the boy's age and qualities of feature there was only one conclusion to be drawn as to the nature of his trouble and later so it was all revealed to me he was it seemed in that condition of mind familiar at some time to all of us when a confidence must be made if only to a brick wall or a stranger i moved to go whereupon i saw a sudden aversion to being left alone with his misery light up in his eyes and following it just as swift a signal of resolution he jumped down to his horses if you are going to tytherley he hesitated and won't mind riding on the cloth why i am going through there and myrtle will be all the better for someone to carry so the thing was going to happen as i hoped it would he gave me a leg up and i think i settled into place on myrtle's thoroughbred but providentially elderly back without disclosing my novitiate in one so absolutely ignorant of horsemanship the act was mere foolhardiness but fortune was hoodwinked she evidently mistook it for bravery and showered favour on me in the form of an exceedingly brilliant idea we are neither of us in a hurry said i suppose we turn into the woods and go by the bridle paths if there are any we need not move above walking pace that afternoon's ride all comes back to me now as though i were reading about it in the yellow dog-eared pages of some early victorian novel instead of trying to write of it in fresh wet ink from a twentieth-century fountain pen the solemn deep light of the wood the green moss luminous under the hoofs of our pacing chargers the screaming jays the gambolling rabbits the pigeons cluttering noisily away through the red forest roof here and there a beam of sunshine full of midges or a pheasant running and calling in the secret brightness of some far-off glade or the sound of a stoat hunting or a rustle of birds in the wind but above all i remember the boy's rapt sorrowful face the dumb spell that held him for half the ride and then his broken beginning i i wanted to ask i was thinking whether you would mind if i asked your advice about about something 
he stopped and cut at a green bramble spray with his whip i could not see yet how to help him it is about about a young lady a girl he continued desperately do you think they always mean what they say this was a vastly more difficult problem than i had expected i played for time for consideration well of course it depends on two things what is said and who it is that says it then oh but she is a girl of good education made of good stuff through and through there is no one like her no not one he cried proudly a bright spot glowing up in the tan of his cheek i thought it over a little watching him the while suppose you tell me what she said then i can hardly advise you without knowing it is all about position social position you know her father is the postmaster at littlecot near winchester and i am only a common stableman she says if i will give up and go into something better she will she will think about what i what i asked her light seemed to dawn on the matter here well i answered him that seems very reasonable if you can only do it have you any plans is there no one you know who can help you to get something a little a little i know what you mean he caught me up a little more respectable but my father is a coachman and i would not hurt him for any woman besides it isn't anything that will do for clara she has her ideas or at least i think but that is what is so worrying the truth is i believe i have a chance with her in only one way and that said i as he hesitated go for a soldier he had turned his face away still averting his eyes he went on confusedly there's dick transome in the rifles he's always over there you know and just because of the uniform and dick's flash and dash it's my only chance i know well it shall be the guards or dragoons for me something with plenty of scarlet and brass in it that will put out the gravel crusher's green as you can snuff a candle yes that's the only thing and the sooner the better the path was narrow here and we were going in single file my steady old mount in the rear i could not see his face just then nor luckily could he mine i had not been so upset for many a day here was the youth to whom in fancy i had given all sorts of high destinies if only fate and fair play could pull together a boy with the face of st john and the eyes of shadrach here he was as it were sailing paper boats in a puddle and mistaking it all for a real venture on the great waters of life 
i was seized of course with an intense loathing and contempt for clara yet i could not hope that she was a fool as well if she could have my budding archangel have him she would i knew and yet he might be wholly in the wrong about her nature the very fact that he was attracted by her augured on second thoughts to her credit i knew that the first need of a good man doing good work was the possession of the right woman as standard-bearer and what manner of thing was clara at heart yes all depended on the woman i must see her i must go to littlecot and judge for myself we had come out into a little clearing a sort of deep well in the wood a disk of blue sky overhead fringed about with the ragged gold of the elm tops and below the red bracken up to our horses knees i put forth a hand and stopped the boy now look here you were in earnest were you not when you asked my counsel on this matter yet you seem to have made up your mind before i have had the chance to say a word you are going much too fast i am a good deal older than you and the older a man gets the more he realises the importance of this business of falling in love in more senses than one it is a matter of life and death for this reason alone it is impossible for me to advise you until i have thought the whole thing out carefully and that needs time now will you really trust me as a friend and if you are willing for that will you promise me that you will do nothing and write to no one until you have had a letter from me remember that on what comes to pass within the next few weeks or days perhaps may depend not only your happiness and success in life but clara's as well keep that in mind and wait as patiently as you can until you have read and considered what i will write to you for i may be able to help you more than you think sitting alone in the inn at tytherley a little later over a quiet cup of tea i was able to enjoy a new sensation in my travels that of having something to do awaiting me on ahead i found from the map that littlecot lay about five miles south-west of winchester not greatly out of my way by pushing on to-night as far as i could conveniently get i might easily reach littlecot in the afternoon of the next day but that would be saturday and i had long promised myself a rest on sunday how would it do i pondered to break my rule for once as to a village route and to spend sunday in the old cathedral town so i arranged it therefore and having got that off my mind i strolled out to take a look at the village it was just on the verge of twilight behind the woods 
the clear western sky glittered like a sheet of gold foil with a single pale star marking where the gold faded into the grey above in the east the moon was brightening a perfect human face deprecatory supercilious rather stupid there was no direct light only this stealthy contention of silver and gold upon everything that was neither of the night or day perhaps if i ever go back to tytherley in broad noon i shall find it bereft of the enchantment almost the intoxication it had for me on that mystic wan november evening but as i saw it then it might have been a mirage picture thrown from fairyland in that twofold light every cottage seemed of an unearthly perfection in colour and form and each one grouped with its neighbours in a composition ravishingly beautiful yet looking as if it owed its existence to the touch of some magician's wand the old grey church among its high elms seemed no mere church of stone but a living watchful thing at once mourning and rejoicing a herd of cows winding slowly through the street lost their reality and became only coloured shades that formed and faded and formed again under the glowing obscurity overhead in the elfin sky swept company after company of starlings incredible numbers of them whirring vast multitudes going straight for the cover of the wood i could not believe them to be mere birds in that radiant transforming dusk they were more like spirits of darkness each bringing his little swart distaff that together would weave the mantle of the night in this topsy-turvy mood i had wandered the length of the village street put about dreamily and come idling back towards the inn a curious vehicle had arrived in my absence it was much like the gypsies caravan which i had encountered at kingston deverell but infinitely more respectable it was dark and shiny and covered all over with big white letters bible texts of the most combative kind as i was trying to decipher these in the fast-gathering darkness i became aware of a black figure at my elbow and a friendly voice remarking on the beauty of the night in the glow of the van lamps i made out a tall trim young clergyman whose teeth and eyeglasses flashed pleasantly as he peered into my face perhaps said he pulling on his gloves you will be kind enough to direct me to king somborn i have a meeting near stockbridge to-morrow and must get on thus far to-night but dear me i am very sorry i mistook you for the hostler he was here a moment ago now half an hour earlier i had myself been inquiring of the landlord the way to that very place i was therefore fully primed 
sir said i doffing bonnet to him i know the way very well and am myself just starting for the same place on foot you must take the left-hand road veer to the right and then here he interrupted me which truth to tell was what i had counted on why how very lucky would you have any objection to taking a seat on the van i am quite alone besides my old horse and i are nearly as blind as bats and we shall be glad of an extra pair of eyes that was one of the sweetest times i spent on the entire journey the missionary van had easy springs and we crept along through the moonlit lanes at the gentlest pace i found the missioner full of thoughtful good things altogether a splendid travelling companion but his greatest charm was his power of silence he had a way of conversation wholly independent of speech so that time and again without a word between us i knew that the same thought was stirring in both our minds king somborne must have been six or seven miles away and i enjoyed to the full a good two hours of this eloquent mute companionship that he found pleasure in it too i had in the end sufficient testimony drawing near to the village at last he turned to me with the friendliest of looks we are wesleyan folk you know he said i am to seek out a good brother here who is to let me pitch for the night in his meadow but how are you going to fare i told him that there were no less than three inns so that he need not fear i should lack accommodation but look you he urged we have not talked half enough and i have set my mind on showing you the very passage in a campus that you disputed there is a vacant berth in the van and plenty of blankets why not accept a lonely man's hospitality and thus it came about and in the midst of that quiet night i woke gazed out through the little foot-square window-hole at the stars and lying long awake thought at last i could hear the winter-slow sheep-bells silvery and slow on the first soft breath of the morning End of chapter 16